When the podcast came together, it it really happened quickly, and we didn't have the time to to really look at what a name should involve. And uh, so, we've decided to invest in this because we're we're really getting great feedback from you all. And so, in terms of content, nothing much is going to change. You're still going to get an interview on the twentieth or thereabouts of each month from someone in the local government community. And we're still brought to you proudly by Maynard Marks. You can find more at their website, maynardmarks.co.nz. Speaking of changes of names, uh, this episode involves Helen speaking with Karen Thomas, the chief executive of Taitoara. Now, Taitoara is uh, the organisation formerly known as Solgam, and the name translates in Te Reo Māori to Backbone. Taitoara is the national membership organisation of local government professionals. Its purpose is to promote and support professional management in local government. Its focus is on providing leadership, promoting innovation and excellence in management practice, and developing local government capability to enhance service delivery to local communities throughout New Zealand. Helen's interview with Karen really is wide-ranging, and I particularly enjoyed where the conversation goes when uh, Karen start talk, starts talking about being a leader with scars, and you're going to have to listen in to see what that all means. Uh, but I do hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe and, and share with all your colleagues, uh, and I really do hope you enjoy this one. Karen, I am thrilled to be in Wellington today at Solgum's headquarters and interviewing. Thank you so much for joining us in the podcast today. Maureen and Helen, it's great to be here. So Solgum is an organisation that has been around for many years, certainly as long as I have been in the local government space, and it's a national membership organisation for local government professionals. I saw from your website that you now have more than 900 members. So congratulations. Thank you. So how wide is the catchment? Well, that's a great question. And uh, to answer that, I'd like to go back a little bit into the history of Solgum. So we started just before the 1989 amalgamation, local government amalgamation. Prior to that, there were organisations like the Institute of Town Clerks and the Institute of County Clerks. Uh, so there were more than uh, 400 of those types um, of roles in New Zealand. And so the, the all so four organisations and then joined up. So Solgum was originally supposed to be for the chief executives and direct reports to chief executives. And when I started here nine years ago, we had about 350 members. Over the years, however, we've decided that uh, we wanted a greater span within the sector. We wanted to make sure we had our eye on the pipeline as it were. So we started off with associate members being added in and then we decided actually if you work for a council you're doing great work no matter what your job title is. So anybody who works for a council or a council controlled organisation can now join Solgum. 
And if you don't work for one of those organisations, but you still like local government, you can now be an associate of Sogum. So that's how we've widened the potential span. We have, however, on the introduction of our leadership development programmes for third and fourth tier managers across the country, really, that's what's really driven the, uh, the new increase in our membership. Mm, so 31 years Solgum's been going for, and the diversity of the membership, I'm sure, has um, occurred over the decades. Do you have any optics on the, you know, the gender balance or the cultural balance in your membership? Well, uh, some people still refer to Solgum as pale, male and stale, (laughs) which I think these days is a little unfair, but I think it is representative of who works in local government. Uh, And so as much as we need to work to make sure the balance of our members is right, we need to make sure that the balance of who works in local government is right as well and represents the communities that we serve. I understand that. And so is, are you the first female chief executive in the 31 years? Yes, I am. But I'm also only the second chief executive, so it's a 50-50. <laughs> so I'm fascinated to know, how did you find your way to Solgum? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, when I was 18 months old, my dad became a county councillor. And so uh, he ended up doing 39 years in local government and he went from county councillor to county chair to a mayor for nine years. Uh, and and in what district? So originally it was the Piako County Council and then yeah. it became Matamata Piako uh, District. So I grew up in a local government house. Yeah. Not only that, um, my great-grandfather had been the county chair and the deputy mayor of Morrinsville. So there was a lot of local government um, in the family. Uh, One of my dad's cousins was a Hamilton city councillor as well. So that's, and my brother was the deputy mayor, um, and although he's not now deputy mayor, he still serves on the council of Matamata Piako. So, you know, it's a local government family. It's hardly surprising that I'm here. But I did take a path into administration, and um, my calling is not on the political side, but in the administration, making sure that we help politicians so they can make the best of decisions for our communities. What an interesting backstory. And so is your dad still alive? Sadly, he's not. He died five years ago. He was the last president of the New Zealand Counties Association prior to the amalgamation, and he was the first vice president of LGNZ, and he was one of their life members. So he's left a legacy. Oh, your parents must be so proud of the legacy that you are currently creating and uh, and you know you've been sitting in the role for 11 is it nine years nine years, nine years. Yeah. and I bet you've seen changes in that nine years oh yes I absolutely have and I suppose one of the biggest changes came following the 2012 conversation if I can call it that between us and LGNZ um, the question was how can Sogam and LGNZ best work together and one of the answers that we um, did a pretty good shake at that year was, should we amalgamate? Uh, after nine months of conversation, the decision was no. We wouldn't best serve the sector by amalgamating. There are really different roles for politicians and for professionals in the sector, and it's 
good to have that kind of natural tension between us. That doesn't mean, however, we shouldn't work really closely together because we've both absolutely got the interests of the sector and communities and New Zealand at our hearts. Uh, well, that's interesting. And do you think that conversation will rekindle in the future? I mean, I, I'm sure it's something that would have to be you know, looked at as our world and our country evolves and whether it's productive mm-hmm. to have two different organisations. Mm-hmm. Do you think that conversation will stay alive? Um, I think that from time to time people will ask that question. Mm-hmm. But if you understand um, structure of government and machinery of government, I think you would understand that there needs to be two separate organisations, um, which isn't to say that we shouldn't work together on projects, uh, but you don't have the public service sitting around the cabinet table, for example. Nice. And it's the same kind of concept, really, that the role of professionals in the sector is to provide advice to the elected members so they can make decisions and then the professionals implement the decisions that have been made. So you, you do need that tension in there mm. and I think for that reason we need to be separate organisations um, but very closely aligned. Mm. Well your purpose is very different to local government New Zealand. I mean your purpose is to promote and support professional management in local government. Uh, and you know, there's a number of roles that come under that umbrella and one of them I was interested in looking at on your website uh, in preparation for this interview is advocacy, being a litigator and the voice of local government professionals and I have to say I was hugely impressed at the range of uh, submissions that Solgum has been involved in, um, you know, in, in behalf of membership. So tell me a bit more about that. Who's the grinder? Who's this productive person sitting (laughs) So the offices? um, uh, Look, it's all Raymond. Well, it's mainly all Raymond. Um, A few of us do a little bit of contribution around the edges, but Raymond is really the workhorse for Solgum. He's just fantastic. Uh, It's really important to understand where our advocacy comes from, Uh, and we call it within our own doctor documents improving government policy. The purpose of our submissions is to make sure that policy that's being developed uh, by the public service and uh, which turns into um, you know, draft bills um, is going to be uh, able to be implemented at the local level. So it's not going to be a barrier to local government, it's not going to be a problem for local government. So we never advocate on whether something's a good idea or not. Our submissions talk about the effect this will have on local government, um, any problems that there will be in the implementation of the legislation, maybe not just problems um, for councils, but maybe problems for government departments because they haven't fully understood how local government works. So that's our role in it. It's uh, it's that very practical, pragmatic, operational uh, uh, advocacy. And so some examples of improving government policy that are on the horizon with our new Labour government? Is there anything that springs to mind? Oh, well, we're donkey deep at the moment in the Three Waters reform. Yes, uh, yes. And uh, look, that's a two or three year mm. um, discussion, really. Um, it's really good that I believe there's a genuine request on the part of Cabinet that central and local government work together mm. on this. Um, 
even now, it's not true that uh, we think the sector likes everything that's been talked about, but but because we're part of the conversation, we can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, we can say, uh, this won't work, and these are the reasons why. So we can have influence. Where we end up, I don't know. Mm. Uh, but I do think at the moment it's a good process. Mm. So anything else that's front and centre? I appreciate Three Waters. Are there anything else sort of in the boiler that yes. in terms of local government uh, Look, as we went around the country talking uh, in that first round of workshops on Three Waters, uh, people asked, well, if we're not going to be doing water, what might we be doing? Uh, and so mm. this is being shaped up, um, it's been called a variety of things, the parallel conversation, the future of local government. I like to think of it more as reimagining local government. And I go back to remembering that uh, in the middle of last year, the purpose of local government was amended. Uh, so we've gone back to where we were in 2002 to enable local democratic decision making and to promote the social, cultural, economic and environmental well-being of the community mm. today and in the future. I, I think that because of when the amendment landed, it was just before our elections, mm. then we had that um, period of time when we're um, inducting new councils, then it was Christmas and then we had a pandemic. So I think as a sector we haven't yet had a really good conversation about what does promote mean. Mm. If I think back to 2012, uh, sorry, 2002, when I wasn't here, um, but I suspect that the sector didn't make as much with that purpose as it might have, which meant that in 2012, when the then national government asked, you know, what have you, local government, really done with us? We think you've done too much. Can you demonstrate actually what you've achieved? We're Conan as a sector. Uh, and so the wellbeing was taken out. Uh, I think it's very important this time that uh, we can be very empirical um, and uh, you know really be able to demonstrate what promote wellbeing means. I think also that as a sector we need to have a conversation not just about what does promote actually mean in a pragmatic sense when the rubber hits the road, that's section 10, but section 11 of the Act, which is roles and functions, that's actually what this new conversation needs to be about. So I don't see it so much as um, potentially if water comes out, something else will pop back in. It's a chance for us now to really think about what does local government and the role and purpose of local government in the 21st century really mean for us. Uh, and you know that is why we've been doing work like developing the data warehouse and um, developing our critical transitions paper. We want people to be thinking about the future and thinking about where local government could be in the middle of the century and beyond. So tell me more about the data warehouse. I know a little bit about that, but that's fascinating. Yes, yeah, so we've collected up... Um, about 70 measures, uh, sorry, 70 indicators, but 234 measures mm -hmm. of well-being. Mm -hmm. And they span the four areas, so social, economic, environmental and cultural. Um, and each data set associated with those measures 
can go down at least to each council's individual boundary. So every council can get their own report. So it looks at this place. Uh, 60% of the data comes from Stats New Zealand Mm -hmm. and the other 40% comes from uh, the administrative data of government departments. And while every department can tell a story about what it's doing in a particular policy area, we can tell stories about places and that's actually where people live. They live in places, they Mm -hmm. don't live in policy frameworks. So we think it's really important that we take this information now out to the communities. Um, More than half the councils uh, have joined the program and have been doing that um, even through this year's LTP processes. So communities understand what the current picture is and they can be involved in the conversation about their aspirations for the future and where they want to go. So I think that um, enabling the community to be more involved in that will have a number of spin-offs. People will feel more ownership of their place and hopefully that's more likely to get them to come out and vote at the next election as well. Oh, congratulations, a really good initiative. And having half the councils joined is tremendous. What's your carrot and what's your stick to, to reward those who have joined and to, to <laughs> punish, <laughs> to enforce, <laughs> let's say? I mean, carrots and sticks do work yeah. really well. Um, you know, how are you going to get the other half? to join FOMO I hope (laughs) (laughs) listen up listeners FOMO get on the bus it's too exciting not to be in um, you know transit so so what we found is um, you know one or two councils have started and councils around them have said oh that's Mm, really interesting mm. what are you doing so there's two or three parts of the country now where almost every council in that region, in that area, um, have joined in. So that means that not only can we get a view of what what's the state of wellbeing in this council area, we can start to get um, an idea of what's the state of wellbeing in the wider area. So if we're going to do things like spatial planning, that's mm-hmm. a really good position to be in. And we've also been in conversation with some government departments. We've worked really closely this year with MSD and helped them produce their regional reports with this data for the regional leads. Uh, I'm off to meeting shortly uh, again with MSD and this time with Ministry of Education as well. Uh, And so at a regional level, that's quite a nice meeting place for local government and central government Mm. Uh, I think central government really met the regions or or identified that regions exist during the lockdown when it was recognised that uh, New Zealanders were experiencing the lockdown in different ways in different places around the country. Mm. So, you know, central government meets the regions. That's great. They need to know that there's places beyond regions. People live in houses and streets and neighbourhoods. So we haven't gotten there yet, but we have found this lovely meeting place at a regional level where we can have joint conversations and start to plan work. Fantastic. Um, Well done and congratulations on that initiative. As I think about 2020 and the impact of the pandemic and the impact on 
the you know your your local government professional members. Mental health. How, how are you? Uh, are there any initiatives there in Solgum to assist the members? Oh, that's a really good question. During lockdown, we have through our workforce working party developed um, a monthly uh, online discussion session uh, called um, Fakaro Pie. Uh, and so that's led by the members of the Working Party and uh, they've looked at all different aspects of HR policy and practice. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, they've discussed is mental resilience. But uh, often things like providing flexible working conditions, um, making sure that when people are working at home they're well supported, mm. uh, understanding that for many people working at home was uh, like life on speed because your children were learning at home as well. And so um, for and some aged, of us... And aged parents. I yes. had my 95-year-old dad live with us for lockdown one. Yeah. <laughs> so some of us went home and we were just, you know, good old Darby and Joan. But other people, um, home was not a quiet, safe place. It was really frantic. Um, so these um, HR discussions, um, once a month on a Friday, have enabled practitioners, um, the HR practitioners, mm. but a wider audience as well, just to come and listen and to talk about ideas. Yeah, really good. Another good initiative, and you know, good to know what you're doing in that space. Um, I, I recall when it was International Women's Day, um, you were interviewed. Uh, and, and you said you were a self-confessed big bossy sister uh, who, you know, who enjoyed bossing your younger brother and sister around um, before landing your first management role at the age of 31. So yeah, tell me a bit more about that, <laughs> being a big bossy sister and now being a manager. Is oh, there any relationship between the two? Oh, well actually there's probably a little bit of a um, backstory to me being the big bossy sister. Um, because I was adopted when I was born, and so that big bossy sister relates to me being um, the eldest in, in my family in Morrinsville. Um, but when I, just before I turned 30, I traced my birth family, and turns out I'm the eldest uh, in that family as well. Uh, so I've known them for more than 30 years, and I'm their big bossy sister too. They, they, wow. uh, they're from the UK. Um, and when I was 17, I went to the States on AFS for a year, and I lived in a family where I was the big bossy sister. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the only role I know. <laughs> Why don't you reframe that to the leader in the family? <laughs> what I do know is that... Um, bossing people around doesn't get you anywhere uh, the thing about management and leadership is it's getting things done through others and that's about winning hearts and minds you don't do that by being bossy you do that by listening and influencing and having ideas contributing your ideas but also uh, enabling other people to contribute their ideas yeah so a few things I've learned along the way and so tell me, there's been probably some challenges, um, you know, that you've faced being a leader along the way. So anything you'd like to share there? Um, I remember when I worked at the State Services Commission and Michael Wintringham was the uh, State Services Commissioner. And he used to say to us that what he wanted was um, leaders and chief executives with scars 
Uh, and I think what that meant was, uh, you know, you need to have experienced mm -hmm. life, you need to have had some successes, you need to have had some failures. I once had the privilege of hearing Jim Collins speak and he said it's not true that you learn from your mistakes. You learn only from your survivable mistakes. So facial mistakes are not good. So if you're going to fail, just fail in a way a that... A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, enough that you can learn your lesson, yes. but come back um, to, uh, to progress on with that learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, I've had some ups and downs. Uh, I'd like to think that uh, as I've got older, I'm more attuned to learning from the mistakes that I make. I think, I think when we start off, um, well certainly when I started off, I think I was so confident in my ability to you know, be like the big bossy sister that my ears weren't very well developed. I'd like to think that they're better developed now and I listen more, it means I learn more. Uh, and I've always, always told my staff I've just had a new staff member start this morning and I'll be telling her this when I have my meeting with her, that uh, I expect my staff to give me feedback all the time on what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. We only have two rules around here regarding that and that is they're not allowed to swear at me and they're not allowed to shout at me but apart from that I'll take any feedback they want to give me because I am motivated by getting up every day and wanting to do a good job and if it looks like... I'm not, uh, if I've missed a bit of information, if I hadn't thought something through completely enough, then it's on them to tell me, just as I'll provide feedback to them. So we're all equal in the learning game as life progresses, really. That's beautiful. my philosophy. Well, that's a beautiful philosophy, and I particularly uh, enjoyed hearing you uh, mention your ears and how you, know, you like to listen, because I always sort of think we've got two ears and one mouth, and if we use them in those proportions, two-thirds listening, one-third speaking. Um, there is so much to learn from people and, uh, you know, getting people to, to sort of get involved in organisations such as yours, um, making them feel part of it, listening. So mentors, I'm always fascinated, like, you know, great leaders like yourself um, who have risen to high places, and congratulations to you for your career. Uh, there's always somebody... You know that's helped you along the way. Um, it may be a parent, it may be someone in your sort of wider community. Uh, was there anything you'd like to share there with someone that's been instrumental in your uh, leadership development? So when I reflect on that, I realise that there are a lot of people who are influential on me in various, you know, particular times in my life, and I don't think I would have recognised them as mentors in the sense that you think about a mentor in your, you know, in, in your career or your business job. Um, but it was just from time to time people who came along and kind of um, had some faith or confidence in what you were doing and wanted to help you do a bit better. Uh, and I suppose um, one of them was a teacher that I had at Morrinsville Intermediate. She ended up teaching me for both what was then Form 1 and Form 2. Um, and she just had this unwavering belief in my abilities to do things, which I found quite curious at the time. I don't think I really understood it. Um, but that gave me the confidence to kind of um, open some more doors, go a bit mm. further. Um, 
it was that same kind of experience, I think, when I started at the Department of Justice. And I'm not quite sure how, but I came to the notice of Mel Smith, who was the uh, Deputy Chief Executive, and um, he ran the Corrections Group. Uh, I mean, he went on to be an ombudsman, so he's had a pretty fantastic career himself. But I got a phone call one day when I was down in Wellington working on a project um, to say that he wanted to have lunch with me, and I thought, why? Anyway, um, we went to lunch, and he asked me if I'd like to apply for um, for a Harkness Fellowship. Now, it turned out I wasn't successful, um, and, and really, in many ways, that doesn't matter. It was the fact that he'd asked me if I would, you know, like to consider an experience that it would never have even occurred to me. Um, and, you know, Mel kept an eye on me from time to time. He'd check in and find out what I was doing and how I was going. Gave me the confidence, I think, mm. um, to be a bit progressive in some of the things I did, particularly when I was the district probation officer in Napier. And I remember with respect to that, some years later, uh, and I was at the State Services Commission, and I was away for a little bit of time, uh, and David Alton, who had been the Chief Executive of the, of the Department of Justice at the time, was in at the Commission doing some work, and one of my colleagues said to him, oh, you can use Karen's office, she's away for a few days, and then they said, oh, you, you know, you, you might remember Karen, she used to work for you, and he said, oh, that Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but one of my bosses there had said to me, uh, our regional manager, he'd said to me, Karen, sometimes it's easier to seek forgiveness than seek permission. Just make sure it's mm. not illegal, immoral, or otherwise, you know, really against departmental policy, but go for it. And so I took that to mean, you know, be a bit innovative, think of new ways of doing things, make sure you understand what the problem is, so you can think about new solutions. And... Um, so yeah, I seek forgiveness rather than permission. Good. Hey, tell me, um, so is there a structured mentor-mentee relationship that's available through Solgum? Do you have, do you match up people? I know in Auckland Women Lawyers we do that and it's, it is very structured, like you get designated somebody or allocated someone and you can say no thank you if it doesn't work, but it's quite a formal sort of process. Do you do that through Solgum? Yeah, no, we don't have a formal process, but a number of chief executives have approached me over the years and asked me if I could help them find nice. somebody. Mm. And so I do do that. So um, I run a list of former chief executives who say that uh, they're interested in being available to help uh, somebody new. Uh, there's also sometimes you want somebody who's not from the sector and outside the sector. So no, nothing formal, but it's certainly available on an as and when required basis. So that's great to know. So is there anything else? that Because you, you've, you've got a fantastic um, website that I've had a look at. Um, you mentioned before that you've got a second website that I haven't seen. Yes. Tell me it was about well, that. Actually, Solgum's got a number of websites and we're in the process of joining some of them up. Our main website is solgum.org.nz, but we do have solgum.co.nz, which is branded as the Set Good Toolkit. 
and council subscribed to that, Helen, so that's why you've never seen right. it. It's behind a paywall. Yes. That's the website where we put all our practice advice, our guidance, there, all our how-to manuals, how to run an election, how to do an LTP, how to set your rates correctly, all of that. The legal compliance program sits in there as well. Now, if that you... That sounds like gold. Yes, well it is. It's the whole toolkit for the mm, sector, really. Amazing. And if you work for a council that subscribes to it, then you can go in and have a look at it. You don't have to be a Solgood member. You just have to work for a council that subscribes. And here's the good thing. Every council subscribes and has done for the last seven years. Uh, but it's a paywall because we're protecting the fact mm. that councils pay to help us continue to develop the material and we want to make sure that they don't pay twice by having somebody um, reorganise that material for them. So if you're listening to this and you've never been onto solgum.co.nz before, find out from one of your managers what the password is to get onto it. And if you can't find it, just call us at Solgum and we'll be able to tell you what your council's password is. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And look, I'm going to wrap up soon, but I, I, I do like to sort of finish on a few fun questions which we're going to come up we're going to come on to in a minute but first of all uh, GLAD the acronym GLAD G-L-A-D just tell me something in this crazy 2020 year something that you've been grateful for um, the L in GLAD something that you've learned uh, something that you've achieved which is the A in GLAD and the D something you're delighted about so well, I've never heard that acronym before, but it's great. I just made it up. <laughs> well, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal it from you. <laughs> so something I'm grateful for. Uh, look, as I mentioned before, I've got a birth family that lives in the UK. I've got an AFS family that lives in the United mm. States. And I'm very grateful that I'm in New Zealand. And we've done what we've done with respect to COVID-19. I think we're in a fantastic position and... We don't hear the Prime Minister talking too much more about the team of five million, but we really were a team of five million. We were, as a country, very focused on what we had to do. We did a very hard lockdown, but boy, hasn't that paid off. Mm. And so I'm enormously grateful for the position that we're in right now, looking forward to, hopefully, a nice summer with not too many restrictions. But still caution, wash your hands, people. <laughs> <laughs> and wear the masks. <laughs> wear the masks, social distance. Okay, so the Alan Glad is something that you've learned this year in 2020. Yes. Uh, for people who were at our, um, what, our summit in Topor, you would have seen um, Stephanie Pride do a presentation and she put up a picture of um, Happy New Year 2020 and then she said and how did that turn out for everybody and so what I've learned this year that I was not expecting on New Year's Eve was actually just how resilient I could be um, I don't think we can overstate how challenging this year has been and even you know for me I've been in a pretty privileged position um, I own my own house with my husband um, I didn't have little kids at home that I needed to school while I was working as well. So lockdown wasn't really hard, but still not without its challenges. And uh, I, I'm surprised at my, you know, what's been actually my ability when I dug deep 
to come out of that okay. That makes me um, think of two things. First of all, that I'm grateful, going back to the the G, um, that I've been able to be in that position. But it also makes me think about uh, other people for whom lockdown wasn't a safe place. Um, And that makes me more committed to the fact that uh, as local governments and councils um, around New Zealand, we've got to be very mindful of everybody that lives in our communities and what we can do to assist them. Mm, beautiful. A, I'm glad has achieved. What have I achieved? Well, you know, I think the big achievement this year um, has been through the work of the local government um, COVID-19 response unit. That was a really unique partnership. And while... LGNZ and DIA and Solgum have talked in the past about, you know, we should join up more, we should work together more. This year we actually did it. And what's come out the end of it is a real commitment to um, continuing development of our relationships because we saw just how much we could get done when we all worked together. We didn't all agree with each other all the time, but that's not the point. The point is that you can bring those different um, positions and um, and expectations to the table and talk it through and focus on what you're getting done and you're getting things done for other people and so I think we've achieved a lot but I think there's more to come. I think that's impressive you know to, to use it as an opportunity to bring together three you know diverse different organizations mm. for the for the common good mm. of local government. Mm. Again yeah. Really good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And so the D in GLAD is delighted. Yes. What are you delighted about in 2020? Well, I'm delighted <laughs> that Solgum's going to have a new name. Oh, tell yes. me more. So our new name, uh, and I don't think it's a, it, well, it won't be a secret by the time people are hearing this, Taituara. Now, Taituara means spine or backbone, support. And um, it's taken us about nine months working with uh, some PR people to get to the point where uh, this name has been identified for us. But I think it so perfectly describes what Solgum is for the sector. We, We are the central kind of backbone support for councils as they go out um, and do their work. And there's a lovely story around some focus groups that uh, were put together by Stanley Street to look at the name and Minister Hinare was in one of them and when this particular name was discussed Minister Hinare said I'll gift that name to Solgum which is very impressive but caused us a little bit of a flap because we hadn't told um, Minister Mahuta that we'd been looking at a new name so I got on the phone with her and explained this to her and she said to me Karen he won't be gifting you the new name we'll be gifting you the new name <laughs> <laughs> so maybe by the time you're listening to this that will have happened and Solgum will be Taituara Local Government Professionals Aotearoa Wonderful. Thank you. Breaking news. I'm, I'm delighted. I am delighted to have heard it first. And can I say, uh, we did a workshop with Gilbert Anoka, the mental skills coach for the All Blacks, for some of our local mm. government clients. And mm. one of his many tips uh, was that, you know, we've all got leadership qualities. 
uh, because we've all got three bones in our body. Mm. And the three bones are, we've got the wishbone, the funny bone, and the backbone. backbone. Absolutely right, <laughs> yes. We've had Anoka come and do work for us as well. He's really impressive. Yeah. Um, look, the other thing I'll just share there, um, and it was really delightful for me, was when we took um, some earlier proposals to the Solgum Executive uh, for the new name, um, collectively at the end of one session they said to us, yeah, um, generally underwhelmed by all of that, Karen, <laughs> which was a bit of a challenge for us to go away, but look where we've ended up. So really pleased that they were able to push us to not accept an okay kind of new name. They sort of said, we've had Solgum for more than 30 years. If we're going to have something new, let's really be um, adventurous with it. And I think we have been. Fantastic. Well, look, let's end, um, stay on the high, and let's end with two final questions, which I ask our podcast interviewees. Um, the first one is, because I'm a, a big music fan, uh, so I'm always interested in what's your favourite song? Wow, it's really hard. Being the age I am, there's a lot. <laughs> um, but I think I would have to say the one, if I could only play one song on a Saturday morning, uh, it's from the Chicks. Now, it used to be the Dixie Chicks. Now they're just the Chicks, and it's the long way round. Ah, fantastic. Great choice. Mm. <laughs> and dinner guests is my last question. Um, who would you invite? Oh. Well, the first person I want to invite is my four times great-grandmother. So I do some um, ancestry research and I discovered her in the 1851 English census and she was married, she had about four or five children, but she wrote that she was, or the, you know, she revealed that she was an oat bread baker. Now, I haven't found in any other census in 41, 51, 1861, any time where a married woman wrote they had a profession. And she just seems to me wow. to have been a real trailblazer for a married woman in 1851 to note that she had a profession. Not only that, I suspect as an oat, an oat bread baker, she, it was probably her own business as well. So, wow, early, early example of a bit of feminism in my family, What, what I is, think. was her name? Her name was Martha Kilner. Her husband was George, so I always remember them as, you know, because of another famous George and Martha. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to find out more about her. So I'd definitely invite her to dinner. I'd also invite Helen Keller, who uh, I was first, uh, you know, aware of her when I was quite young, and I was always just really intrigued at how she achieved what she did, being blind, being deaf. And still been really, really amazing. So I'd like her to come to dinner and talk to me about that. Um, I'd like to invite Robert the Bruce, actually. Um, in his quote, I've heard some people say it's, this is not true, but generally it's accepted that um, he coined the phrase, if at first you don't succeed, having been inspired by watching a spider. So that's all about persistence and resilience, I think. So I'd like to have a bit of a chat to him about that. My ancestry research also tells me he's my 21st great-grandfather, so that would be kind of interesting. So where is he from? Is he's he... Robert the Bruce. He, he was Robert the First, the King of Scotland. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then um, Barack Obama, 
if he wasn't available, I'd ask Michelle. So either one of them. Apparently, he's not going to be involved in the White House. Um, <sighs> Michelle's put his foot down, so right. he may oh, be available. Then he might be available. He may be available. <laughs> um, because you know, again, a trailblazer, the first time a white, a black man's in the White House. Yes. I'd just like to talk about everything that went into that because he is not. Um, of the typical black American story. He uh, does not have a history of um, ancestors who were slaves in the way that um, Michelle does. Uh, his father um, you know, was from Kenya, his mother uh, from Hawaii. So uh, a really interesting backstory anyway, but a trailblazer nonetheless. Thank you so much, Karen, for joining me today in this podcast interview. It's been delightful. I've learned so much about Solgum. I'm really excited for the future of it. I'm impressed with the new name, and I wish you and all the people that stand behind you in this organization um, the best. Thank you, Helen. It was just delightful. Thank you. Thanks, team, for listening to the interview. It was a really good one. And thanks again to Maynard Marks for the support. If you want to be added to our regular um, newsletter, send me an email, nathan at ricespear.co.nz, or give me a call. You can see my details on the um, on the Rice Spear website. But apart from that, I hope you all have a fantastic Easter, and I will see you for the next instalment of Rice Spear Radio. Mm-hmm.